What a wonderful time of worship that was, and I want to thank the choir for leading us in it, and the team. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you uh, probably the most impactful time of worship that I've ever experienced. Something that is etched on my heart and mind even years later. Can't talk about it without being deeply moved. My children are, are probably sitting there wondering whether I'll make this through without bawling because their mom and I bawled when we talked about it. I was bawling last night as I was thinking about it. Something that's deeply personal. And it uh, has uh, to do with Katie's father, who's with the Lord now. Something that she and I both feel he would want me to share with you um, if it would encourage you to deeper worship. And I believe it will. After Katie's dad, uh, who had served his whole life as a pastor, suffered a series of many strokes, he moved in with us. And as his health declined, he really began to struggle with continence issues. At that time, I was serving at the headquarters of Slava Gospel Association with SGA's president, Bob Provost, and the time for SGA's formal Christmas banquet rolled around, and it's a really wonderful time of of singing Christmas hymns and hearing a special speaker. It's something we knew Dad would love. And we debated whether or not he was able to attend. We didn't want him to miss out, and so we decided uh, that, and he decided that he could go. We asked for a table near the exits, near the bathroom, so that Dad could exit and use the restroom if needed. And sure enough, about Oh, probably 20 or 30 minutes into the banquet, he slipped out to use the restroom. But then he didn't come back, and he didn't come back. And so Katie got worried and asked me to go check on him, and I did. And uh, when I knocked on the door of his stall, he just simply said, I need your help. So when I opened the stall door, I realized he had hadn't made it to the toilet, and he had slipped on the mess, fallen into it, and had been trying to get up unsuccessfully, and it had just gotten all over everything, him and everything else. He was, of course, embarrassed and humiliated. It was a formal event. He was in formal clothes. He had been a big, strong guy all his life, six foot two, star high school quarterback, after his death, we found all of these. He didn't really talk much about the glory days, so to speak, but because he wasn't saved during that time, so for him, they weren't the glory days. But he was a star quarterback, six foot two, big, strong guy. Now he was there and on the floor of that stall, helpless, covered in his own waist, needing help. And he felt bad for me because he was pulling me out of the banquet, I felt terrible for him. I went out, whispered to Katie what had happened so she could go and get some clean clothes for him. Then I posted Tim and Titus outside the bathroom door in order to tell other people that that bathroom was out of order and they had to go use a different one. 
And then I took off my suit jacket and tie, rolled up my sleeve, and started cleaning him up. If I was in this situation, I know exactly how I would be. I would have sat there in embarrassed silence. I would have been really struggling with my attitude. And worship would have been the last thing on my mind. You were right. <laughs> but as I was cleaning him up, Dad did two things. First, he simply looked at me and said, Thank you, son. I love you. Then he paused and drew a deep breath and began to sing. And he sang a hymn that goes like this In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing, I really thought I was going to be able to get through this back, anyway, sorry. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to Jesus. In moments like these, I lift up my hands. I lift up my hands to the Lord, singing, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Singing, I love you, Lord. I love you. It just blew me away. In moments like these. Let me just kept singing that. In moments like these. I had always thought of those moments. In moments like these, I sing out a love song to Jesus as pertains to the golden, happy moments of life. Here was my father-in-law in such a humiliating and unpleasant circumstance singing and worshiping his Lord. In moments like these, I sing out a song. In moments like these, I lift up my hands to the Lord. That is worship. That's fervent worship. That is Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, 2 Corinthians 6.10. And that is being like Paul and Silas, who sung songs of praise while locked in stocks in a dungeon. By the way, we often have a sanitized version of Paul and Silas in prison in our minds. It wasn't sanitary at all. Roman dungeons were not sanitary. And one of the reasons being locked in stocks was so miserable was not only the physical pain it caused from being immobilized in a terribly uncomfortable position, it was also the humiliation and the discomfort which came from being unable to move when you had to use the bathroom. Prisoners in stocks in Roman prisons had to sit in their own filth. That's the unsanitized version, the real version. So when you read that Paul and Silas were singing songs of praise while they were in those stocks, in that dungeon, we should remember that their situation was a lot like Dad Wyckoff's, but even worse. And that's why Acts 16.33 says that the jailer, after he was converted, quote, took them that very hour of the night and washed them. He washed their wounds, it says. They had wounds from the beatings. 
and they were filthy from sitting in the stocks and there was a great risk of infection. And so he took them that very hour of the night and he washed their wounds. The first thing the jailer did when he repented and believed was to wash them and attend to their wounds. And then the next phrase says, and immediately he was baptized. The jailer is converted. He washes them and then they baptize him. That had to be the most profound baptismal service ever. I've never had or needed the person who I was about to baptize need to wash me first. That's what happened. You know, before the Lord saved that jailer, he had a clean body but a dirty soul. And before the jailer washed them, Paul and Silas had dirty bodies but clean souls. So when the jailer repented and believed, first he washed them and then they baptized him. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. What happened to Dad Wyckoff and I in that bathroom stall during that unforgettable Christmas banquet? I'll never forget. We both left that bathroom changed. He left with new clothes and I left with a new perspective on worship. He taught me by example that worship is not just something we do during the first part of the church service. It is all of me and all of life in every moment of life. It's in moments like these Yes, moments like these. The choir is singing so beautifully. But it's also in moments like those. In that bathroom stall or in that hospital room or in a dungeon with your feet in stocks. It's in moments like these that we worship. I've entitled today's message, A Life That Worships. And Dad Wyckoff really exemplified that. Our sixth core value is worship. And our statement reads as follows. Glorifying God is our ultimate purpose. Therefore, fervently worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth is core to who we are and what we do. We pursue Christ-centered and doctrinally rooted worship in all of life. Our worship services include the four New Testament aspects of worship, preaching, prayer, fellowship, and praise. Our worship through music includes a theologically rich blend of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We long to glorify God through spirit-filled responses of all we are to all he is. Fervent worship. The first phrase says that glorifying God is our ultimate purpose, and it cites Romans 11:36, and that's where we will begin this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 33 through 36 to introduce our subject, and then we'll be in chapter 12 for the majority of the message. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. In context, 
Paul has been discussing the fact that Israel, God's chosen people, rejected the Messiah, or at least many of them did, but that God was still going to be faithful to them. He would fulfill all of the promises made to them through Abraham to David through the prophets. He would fulfill them all. Though we are faithless, he is faithful is the message of Romans 11. And Romans 11 ends in verse 33 by saying, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is why we worship. This is why we worship. All things are from him. He is the source. All things are through him. He is the means and all things are to him. He is the purpose. You cannot have true purpose in life unless that purpose is to worship him. All things are from him and through him and to him. Without him, you are devoid of the source. You don't have the means and you don't have the true purpose. And chapter 11 ends by saying, to him be the glory forever, amen. And then chapter 12 starts with the word, therefore, Because all things are from him and through him and to him, and because to him belongs the glory forever, therefore, for that reason, Paul is going to urge us to worship, and he's going to give us four ways to worship or four means by which we should worship. We worship because God is glorious, because he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the source, the means, and the purpose of everything. He alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. That's why we worship, and now in chapter 12, we're going to see how to worship. The first thing that we learn from chapter 12 is to worship with our bodies. Worship with your body. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. This urging comes by the mercies of God. Remember the mercy of God to you, that he created you and gave you life and existence, that then he sent his son to save you from your sin and rebellion. Every good thing you've ever enjoyed is from him. James says that, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every blessing you've experienced is from him. Pardon me. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How should we worship? We should worship with our body. 
You know, before Christ came, they used to lay a different kind of sacrifice on the altar of praise. They laid a dead sacrifice. But now that Christ, the final sacrifice, the one who conquered the grave, the Lamb of God who died and then was raised to life, now that the gospel has been fulfilled, worship involves the offering, not of a dead sacrifice, but of a living one. And we do not lay something we have on the altar, we lay ourselves on the, author, on the altar. We present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you present yourself and you present your physical body to God as a living sacrifice which is acceptable to him. I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to do kind of a sub-outline within the outline. It's going to be a little tough to follow, but I put it on the PowerPoint. Hopefully it'll make sense. But Hebrews 13 is such a poignant verse, and I just wanted to do a little sub-outline from Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 15. We are to worship with our body, and I, I want to draw three aspects of that from Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 which says, through him, that is through Christ, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. See, this is that life of worship, a whole life of worship. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The, this is the letter to the Hebrews He's been telling them that Christ fulfilled all the sacrifices. These are people who had gone so regularly to offer sacrifices, and now that's all been fulfilled in Christ. So now what what offering do you bring? Now what sacrifice do you bring? It's not a lamb. It's not a turtle dove. What is it? It's your body, Romans 12.1 says, and it is a continual sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13.15. Now listen to what it says going on. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Here's three sacrifices that we now give. Not bulls and lambs and other sacrifices. We now give A sacrifice of praise. We do good and we share. These are our sacrifices. Three ways we can use our bodies to worship the Lord. First, use your voice to sing. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Offer your body as a living sacrifice and start with your lips. Use your voice to sing. This is normally what we have in mind when we talk about worship, and this is a vital component of worship. And as the plurals here in verse 15 remind us, corporate worship is extremely important. Let us, 
Together, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. By the way, most of the time when worship is described, it's described in the plural as something we do together. Very rarely will you find worship in the first person singular. This is something we gather to do. That's why we gather. Well, what should this fruit of the lips, this worship through music consist of? Now, I want to take you to a sub-outline within the sub-outline. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18. Paul has been talking about walking in a careful and wise way and making the most of our time because of how evil the days are. In verse 17, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then look at Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So you have a contrast between Spirit, small s, and the Holy Spirit. And Christians are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not alcoholic spirits, And then in verse 19, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, we learned some principles about our worship through music here, we learn that worship should be edifying. Look at the beginning of verse 19. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speak to one another. This is something we communicate back and forth to each other. You know, I've heard some people criticize the old hymns. They'll say, well, the modern praise songs are addressed directly to God. It's all in the second person. Lord, I love you. You are great. You are wonderful. The hymns are a lot of kind of third person. You know, let us do this and let us do that. And they say, see, the old hymns aren't worship. That's more like preaching in song. Well, Ephesians 5.19 would beg to differ It says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are commanded to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that is worship because Jesus said when we love each other, we are loving him. When we exhort one another, when we obey his commands, In regard to one another, that is worship, and that's why so many of the great hymns of the faith are actually addressing one another, and that is worship because when we do that, we are showing our love for Christ by obeying his commands, one of which is right here in Ephesians 5.19. I also want you to notice the three genres of songs that are mentioned here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These are three different types of musical genres. And so the team 
seeks to include all three genres in our services because that's exactly what this verse tells us to do. And by the way, it's okay to prefer one of those genres. That's fine. Dad Wyckoff loved the hymn genre. That's fine. Others love the spiritual song genre. It's fine to have a favorite of the three, but it is not okay to insist that others shouldn't include the others or that the church should pick one of the three when we're commanded to use all three. We need all three. They have different purposes. They are different in the effect that they have. And we're instructed to include all three of them because that's how we can edify one another in a full way. Worship should be edifying. Secondly, worship should be exalting. Verse 19 goes on to say, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So you have to one another and now to the Lord. So you have the horizontal aspect of corporate worship and now you have the vertical aspect of corporate worship. And this says that our singing should be, and this is an important phrase, from the heart. And I love the phrase, it says, making melody with your heart. That's comforting because some of us can't make melody with our voice. You know, if your vocal cords can't make melody or if you know, you're like I am where I've been a little bit struggling with my voice for a few weeks now, it's pretty nice to know that even if you can't make melody with your voice, you can make it from your heart. God hears music differently than we do because he not only hears the sounds, he knows the heart. That's why even the deaf and the mute can sing in worship to the Lord. They make melody in their hearts. And how precious that is to the Lord. That's why the churches in very persecuted areas sometimes have to even sing just mouthing the words. And they make melody in their hearts even though they can't let the sound be heard. Verse 20 then reminds us that worship should be joyful even in difficult circumstances. Always giving thanks for all things. Always for all things. Dad Wyckoff did that. He gave, he always gave thanks for all things. What an example. Give thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father. And then verse 21 gives us our third component of musical praise, which it should be equitable. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 21 is not an entirely different topic. It's not like you should just chop in between verse 20 and then verse 21. No, this is a continuation of what is being discussed be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You should be afraid to insist on your preferences in disregard of everybody else's. When it comes to music, you know, there's, there's even a phrase that are talked about kind of in pastoral cir- circles, worship wars. 
worship wars, when churches fight over the music that they're going to use to worship the Lord. Can you imagine how the Lord perceives that? His children, to whom he gave the primary command, love one another, are fighting over how to supposedly worship him. I I think we should be afraid to do that, and I think that's what this verse says. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I don't get to impose my preferences. I don't do that as pastor, and you shouldn't do that as a member. Don't impose your preferences. Be subject. Submit to one another in these areas. The Lord knew that people would have very strong musical preferences, and so he includes here a command to submit to one another on this issue. So instead of insisting that my favorite psalms or my favorite hymns or my favorite spiritual songs be sung in the way I want them sung and all of the other preferences, whether it's volume or whether it's anything else, don't insist on your way. This is where we apply Philippians 4. We prefer one another. Or as Romans 12 is going to tell us, it's going to say, In verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. You give preference to others, not to your own desires. When everyone is submitting to each other, guess what happens? Corporate worship becomes equitable. Everybody's input combined then creates the corporate worship of the church. It becomes equitable and well-balanced, and everyone is able to participate. You know, if music fit your exact preferences, only you would worship. You get to do that at home. But when we gather, we worship corporately. So it is the combined or the median of the church which is implemented. So Ephesians 5 tells us that worship should be edifying to others, exalting to God, and equitable in regard to personal preferences. This takes us now to the next point of our sub-outline. So now we're going from the sub-sub-outline back to the sub-outline, which is use your feet to serve. So go back to Hebrews 13. So we have... Romans 12.1 is the main outline. Now Hebrews 13 is the sub-outline. And we went to Ephesians 5 for a sub-outline of the sub-outline. Now we're on point two of the sub-outline here. Hebrews, back to 13, back to verses 15 and 16. So through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good. That's how you praise the Lord, is you do good. And doing good requires going to where you can do the good. So use your feet to serve. There's all kinds of ways to serve. This word good is just a a very general term. It just means doing things which are beneficial for someone else. Anything that blesses or benefits someone else is doing good. And that is worship. So we go and we do good for goodness sake, as, <laughs> sorry, I guess that's a Christmas song. 
Um, but we do good because the Lord commanded it. We use our feet to serve. Now, the greatest good you can do for anyone is to share the gospel with them. That's the greatest good, but there are many other forms of good we can do. So we should use our feet to go to the lost, to the hurting, and to the needy. As our mission statement says, we go and gather and grow. Use your feet to serve. Then use your hands to share. Verse 16 of Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So use your hands to share. Share your home. That's hospitality, which is commanded in Romans 12 and many other places. Share your heart. Be a good friend. Share your heritage. All the blessings that were passed down to you, whether financial or a good work ethic or a skill, mentor others in those things. Share your heritage. Share your home, share your heart, and share your heritage. Use your hands to share. So as Romans 12, 1 says, we worship by presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And as Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 showed us, we can worship with our bodies by using our voice to sing, using our hands, our feet to serve, and using our hands to to share. So now go back to Romans 12, back to our main outline, and we're going to look at our second major point, which is not only should we worship with our body, we should worship with our mind. Worship with your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Worship with your mind. At any one time, your mind is either being conformed to the deceptions of this fallen world, or it is being renewed according to the will of God. Jesus commanded us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So worship should involve all of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that's just not just at church on Sunday, that's all day, every day. I want to give you just a few examples of what a mind that is being renewed day by day is thinking about. A mind that's being renewed is thinking about worshipful doctrine, knowing the mind of Christ. Doctrine is just knowing who God really is and what He says about the world and what His will is. So, A renewed mind is filled with worshipful doctrine. It's also filled with worshipful delights, which means abstaining from fleshly lust, from delighting in evil, and delighting instead in Christ and in righteous things. We should have worshipful delights in our minds. Next, worshipful discipline. We need to discipline our minds. Take every thought captive to Christ. Train your mind to be conformed to the mind of Christ, to think his thoughts after him, bringing your thinking in alignment with his because you're his follower. Discipline your mind. Then have a worshipful determination. 
have a commitment to excellence for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it with excellence. Do it for the glory of God. Don't serve people. Serve God with whatever you do in your vocation, in your artistry, all of that. Do it for the Lord. And that leads us to the last one, which is worshipful design. You are made by the creator in his image, which means you are creative. So a Christian worldview highly values the arts. You reflect the image of God through creativity in music and the arts. The one who is beautiful, who made things beautiful, is glorified and worshiped when you do or perform beautiful things. Fill your renewed mind with worshipful designs. If you're an architect, make things beautiful. An interior designer, make things beautiful. That is a manifestation of the imago Dei, the image of God. So worship with your mind. Third major point from Romans 12 is to worship with your gifts. Worship with your gifts. Look at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Worship with your gifts. One of the key ways we worship is to use our spiritual gifts faithfully and with diligence and with excellence. These verses tell us that our gifts should be exercised with a spirit of humility. Verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Be humble in the exercise of your spiritual gifts. But have an objective evaluation of yourself. If you are a talented musician, don't go around moping, oh, I can't do this, I can't play. No, no. Ask someone who knows. They'll give you an objective evaluation and then align your thinking with an objective evaluation. If you're a B student, think of yourself as a B student, not a C student and not an A student. Think of yourself with sober judgment or sound judgment. Have an objective evaluation of yourself. Growing up, I loved listening to Adrian Rogers, just a great preacher, and he just has this voice. I mean, when I think of a preacher's voice, it's his. I don't have that voice. I need to have an objective evaluation of that. But the fact that I don't have his voice doesn't mean I don't have any voice, and I need to use the one God has given me. Next, we should use our gifts, worship with our gifts, with an appreciation of our differing roles. Verse 4 says, we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function. And yet, we're one body, and each role is equally important. 
your role in this body is just as important as anyone else's. So appreciate your unique role. As you do that, have a deep commitment to unity. Verse 5, we are one body in Christ. We're members of one another. Accept individual uniqueness. Verse 6 says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So don't try to make everyone be like you. They're different than you, and that's a good thing. We have unique giftedness. Then have a commitment to faithfulness and excellence. The Verses 6 through 8 say, whatever your gift is, do it with excellence. Do it with excellence. As a pastor, I see those who know what their spiritual gift is, and they do it with excellence. Then there are those who don't know what their spiritual gift is, or those who do, but don't do it with excellence. Know your spiritual gifts, and do them with excellence. Worship the Lord with your gifts. So we've had worship with your body, with your mind, and with your gifts. Lastly, worship with your life. Look at Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. It's a phenomenal description of worship. A life of worship. Notice the section begins with the phrase, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Real love abhors evil and clings to good. It is not real love to love evil. Real love abhors evil and clings to good. It's the same thing that the great definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 says it says love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth if you rejoice in unrighteousness that's not love that's its opposite sadly our culture directly denies and defies the core definition of love when the scripture says love does not rejoice in unrighteousness they say no love rejoices in unrighteousness when Romans 12 says, love abhors evil and clings to good. They say, no, 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 love loves evil and calls it all good. You know, the world's deceptive and destructive ideological twisting of the concept of love can be summed up in the slogan I'm sure you've all heard, love is love. Love is love. Well, first of all, that is what is called a tautology, something which could be said about everything and therefore means nothing. It's as informative as saying corn is corn. Well, of course love is love. That's just a tautological statement. But what they do is they bury within it an ideology that says evil things can be labeled love and then it becomes good. Just call whatever it is that you want to do love and it becomes good. It is Literally just pulling off 
a label on sin and slapping the word love on it and saying, see, now it's good. Love is love. Saying love and love leaves the core question unanswered. What is love and who defines it? Real love, holy love, is defined in many places in the scripture, most famously 1 Corinthians 13. Here in Romans 12, we see some definitions of love. Love, real love is a righteous love, a loyal love, a serving love, a joyful love, a persevering love, a prayerful love, a giving love, and a hospitable love. That's what love really is. Not everything is love, but these things are love. So a core way we worship the Lord is by living a life of love. Living all of life for the glory of God and the true good of others. We worship with our whole life. We love with a righteous love. We love with a loyal love, a serving love, a joyful love, a persevering love, a prayerful love, a giving love, and a hospitable love. We worship with our whole life, living a life of love. That's why I've entitled the message, A Life That Worships. Beloved, you were made for worship. It is our greatest honor, blessing, and joy. John 4 says, the Father seeks true worshipers, those who will worship in spirit and in truth. If you're a true worshiper, the Lord is continually seeking you His eyes roam to and through throughout the whole earth to find someone whose heart is fully his. He seeks true worshipers. Be a true worshiper and you will have the greatest of all treasures. Worship with all that you do and all that you are. Worship with your body. Worship with your mind. Worship with your gifts. And worship with your life. We are called to worship, to worship fervently. And that's the lesson Romans 12 has taught us today, and it's the lesson I learned so powerfully through the example of my father-in-law. We should worship at all times with all that we are, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we worship you because you are worthy. All things are from you and through you and to you. So Lord, may you be glorified. May you be exalted. May you be worshipped with fervent worship in our hearts and in this church. We pray.